Well, I'll re- go ahead and read it now, and I'll, I'll read it again um, in, in a little bit. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 <clears throat> says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So as I said tonight, uh, I hope by the end of the night you'll be able to answer that question, does God hear my prayers? And we won't focus so much on will God answer my prayers tonight, but instead, does he hear me? Um, because prayer really is, is coming before the presence of God and, and, and making your request known to him. And I want you to know that when you pray, I want you to know whether or not you're actually going into the presence of God. Um, I don't want anyone who's truly a believer to feel like, oh, I, just, I feel like I'm just talking to a wall. And I don't want anyone to be deceived thinking that you can just have access to God on your own terms. <clears throat> And so many of you who grew up in church might say, like, oh, of course God hears my prayers. Like, I've, I always pray to him. I've been praying to him since I was three years old, since I knew how to talk. Um, but my question is, like, but how, how do you know that God hears you? Like, how can you have such assurance? And I, I wonder how you would answer that question, because we're talking about coming before the God of the universe, um, the king of all kings. And so really, like, if you think about it, like, what gives you, what gives me the right to come into his presence? And so uh, just to put this in perspective for you for a, little, for a minute, um, imagine yourself standing at the gates of the White House, right? You're standing there, you're looking there at, in Washington, D.C., you're admiring, wow, look at this amazing old building, how much history has been there, how many presidents have served their terms in there. And next to you is this boy, and, and you, you overhear him kind of talking out loud to himself, and he's like, you know, I'm really disliking some of the requirements in the California school system. And he's like, I, I, you know, I, I bet the president could help change that for me. He's like, I, I think the president could make my school experience better in, over there in California. Maybe he could put in a good word to Governor Newsom on my behalf. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll have a word with the president about it. And you would look over at this, this kid and you'd be like, dude, you're crazy, right? Like, you think that you could just, like, have some sort of meeting with the president about your school? Like, like who are you, Right. And then imagine that the kid proceeds to like wave down the guard and, and says, hey, 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 I, I'd, uh, and he like waves him over, right? And the guard's like, yeah, who, uh, how can I help you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have a meeting with the president. And the guard's like looking at him, you know, like, and then he sees that the kid's not joking. And so he's like, okay, well, like, who are you? And, he, and he's like, well, I'm Billy. And, and then, and he's, and he's like, well, like, why do you think that you can just have a meeting with the president. And, and then the kid proceeds to like tell the guard like, well, uh, 
I, I've been a Boy Scout for almost nine years now. And he's like, I have nearly 227 hours of community service. And he's like, I always, whenever I see a lost dog or a cat, I always help find its owner. And he's like, in my neighborhood, no old lady crosses the street by herself. And just think, like, that would be absolutely insane, right? To think that, like, this boy could come and just, like, with those merits, come and have a meeting with the president. And so I want us to think, like, how much more is it crazy to think that we could meet with the king of the universe, right? We're thinking about a boy meeting with the president of the United States, but I'm talking about the ruler who is infinitely higher than the president of the United States, like infinitely higher than the greatest kings and queens that have ever lived, uh, greater than any emperor. Think about the great emperors of all world history, greater than any Caesar or Pharaoh. Uh, this is the king of all kings. And, and so I hope, like, with this sort of perspective now, you're beginning to, to feel the weight of this question. Like, does God actually hear when I pray? It's really a valid question. And there's more to it, though, because you're much worse off than Billy the Boy Scout. Because you're not at all, according to God's word, according to what God thinks, you're not at all a model citizen of his kingdom. Um, no, and you know that really in reality, you break God's laws every day. And God knows even more how much you break his laws. You don't even realize how much you sin against him. And God knows every single law of his that you've broken at every single moment of your life. And he knows truly what's in your heart. And so God says, this is what some of the things that he says in his word about each one of us apart from Christ. Okay, so each one of us on our own in our natural man, apart from Christ, this is what he says. Colossians 1.21, it says, you are, well, I'll say are, it says were, because this is now somebody in Christ, but you are alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Hostile meaning like, if, if I could attack God, I would. Um, Titus 3.3 says that you, it says were, but I'll say are, you are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice. That's intention to do something evil, malice, especially in the case of causing harm. Malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And God's, one of his greatest commandments is that you love one another. And here it says that apart from Christ, every single one of us hate each other. And so with charges like these, Really, the only reason any of us could hope to come before God or think that we might appear before God is really for judgment. Um, but the amazing thing that we'll see in our text tonight is that there is a way for us to gain access to God's presence. And it's not to receive judgment. It's to receive grace. And really, it's to receive the greatest grace of all 
and that's fellowship with God. Like we can have communion with God. And so that's what I'm excited to share with you guys tonight. And um, so tonight, I'll put it up on the screen for you. In, in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, you will discover, one, how it is that you can have access to God's presence. And two, that God actually urges you to enter his presence. And my goal in sharing this with you tonight is that you who are in Christ will draw near to God in prayer with complete confidence that he not only hears you, but wants you there in his presence. So this is, this is what we're after tonight. And so I just want to read one more time Hebrews 10, 19, 19 to 22. Um, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I want to give you also a roadmap of where we're going tonight because uh, it's going to take us a little while to get back to our text. I think that's why it's helpful for me to read it a couple times. Um, and our roadmap is, uh, number one, we're going to talk just briefly about uh, the background to the, this book, the book of Hebrews. And then two, we're going to talk about how Israel can draw near, was able to draw near under the old covenant. And then the next place we'll go after that is just a brief overview of what comes before chapter 10 and chapter 9. Um, we really need that foundation in order to understand what's going on here in, in chapter 10. And then we'll finally get into our text, um, Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. So you don't need to write this down. This is just um, so you know where we're going and you're not wondering, when is Josh going to get to the text? Um, so here we go. So, brief background to the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews, from what we can tell in studying the book, is most likely written to, to Jewish believers, people who had grown up Jewish, who followed the Mosaic law, who went to synagogue every week, observed the Sabbath, and who participated in feasts like the Passover. Um, but they had become Christians. And they had come, meaning they had come to believe that Jesus was God's promised Messiah to bring salvation from sins, to reverse the curse on the earth, and to establish God's kingdom on earth. But these believers had come under some intense persecution. And, and because of that persecution, it seems that some were being tempted to leave Christ, or at least to demote Christ, to make him less offensive to the people in their culture so that they would stop being persecuted. And it seems they were being tempted to revert back to certain aspects of Judaism, to approaching God according to the laws in the Old Covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews spends most of his letter explaining how Jesus and the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated is superior to the Old Covenant. 
that everything in the Old Covenant and all the priests and sacrifices were actually pointing to Jesus, who is the, the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest. So with that being said, um, it's really important that we understand how people were able to approach God in the Old Covenant. So that way we understand kind of what these believing you know, Jews were tempted to go back to. So here's just some brief background on the Old Covenant. And so the first thing we need to know is that God is holy. And, and he is completely separate from us. There is the creator and there's the creation. And these are entirely separate categories. And God alone is in the creator category. He is completely separate from everything else. And God's holiness also means that he is blameless. He is without moral blemish. So he's completely pure, always righteous, entirely good. And if you remember, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that we are not. We are not good. And it's really essential that you understand this as well. To reemphasize, I'll, I'll read you Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. It says this, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And it's a dangerous thing for sinners like this, like us, like you and me, to come into the presence of the holy God. Exodus 33.30, God speaking to Moses says, No one can see me and live. And when God reveals his glory to Moses, he had to shield Moses in the cleft of a rock so that God's glory wouldn't kill him. And when Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, found himself in the presence of God, this is what he said. He said, woe is me, for I am lost. He's like, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And he says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So knowing this about God and knowing man's sinfulness, it's really astounding to hear what God said to Israel after he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. This is what God said in Exodus 25.8. He's saying this to Moses. He says, let them, Israel, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God is making, is telling Israel to make, them, make him a sanctuary so that he can dwell with them. Exodus 29, 45 says it like this. This is God speaking. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And really the question we should all be asking right now is how can this be? How can the holy God dwell with such unholy, sinful people? And this is essentially the question that you're left with after you finish reading the book of Exodus when God's glory comes and fills the temple. 
and you're like, how, how can this happen? And the book of Leviticus is really God's answer to, to how it can be that a sinful people can dwell with him, the holy God. And the book of Leviticus tells us how this is going to be possible, and that's through sacrifice. Sacrifice and ritual cleansing are, is the way that, that God can dwell with sinful Israel. And sacrifice was the means that God gave to Israel for their sins to be forgiven. Um, to have his holy wrath against their sin be turned away from them so that they could be cleansed from their guilt. See, when a sacrifice took place, the innocent blood of the, the animal, that unblemished animal, made atonement for the worshiper's sins. It covered their sins. It forgave their sins. It allowed God to forgive their sins. And so these sacrifices allowed the people to have fellowship with God. It allowed them to continue to live with God in their midst and for them not to die. Um, it allowed them to come before his earthly dwelling place, this tent, this tabernacle that God had them make. It allowed them to come before him there and worship. And the other thing that God gave them that was also absolutely essential to this was ritual cleansing. See, God and his tabernacle, the place where he dwelled, were, was holy. And nothing unclean was allowed to come in contact with the tabernacle. Um, nothing unclean. And unclean in the Bible doesn't mean like unsanitary. Like we think about, my hands are dirty, I should wash them. It's not like that. In the Bible... The things that are unclean are things that are associated with, with death or idolatry. And so contact, if you had contact with any of these unclean things, it would then be transmitted to you and you would become unclean. And since God is the source of life and his presence is the place of fullness of life, nothing unclean, nothing associated with death was allowed to come into his presence. And so he provided these cleansing rituals that allowed the Israelites to be cleansed from their uncleanness because it's really impossible to live in this world and not become in contact with, with uncleanness. And so this allowed the Israelites to draw near to God and worship. So those two things mainly, sacrifice and ritual cleansing. And so when I've been, I've been saying like draw near to God, I, I do not mean... Draw near to God inside the tabernacle um, where, where God actually dwelt. That, that was a place that only the priests were allowed to go in. Um, the, the worshiping Israelite was only allowed to come into the courtyard to offer a sacrifice. So here I have on the screen um, an image from the ESV study Bible. If you guys have it, you can look at it at home. Um, and here you see uh, the tabernacle. You have a cross-section of it. And then all around, you kind of have the temple courtyard. And then if you see the man on the right-hand side of the, the, the screen, he's walking up to the, to the gate of the courtyard. And so there he would bring his offering. And one of the priests would help him, and the offering would be slain and would be placed on the altar there. And that's about as far as the typical Israelite would actually get to God's presence. See, God was dwelling inside the tent. Um, 
But the priests were allowed to go inside the tabernacle, but only into the first section. I'll show you a photo of the tabernacle a little closer. So you'll see the priest standing outside the tabernacle. If he were to walk through um, that first curtain, he would be in the place called the holy place. Okay? And he could minister there. There were things for him to do that God required of him inside the holy place. And then you'll see that there's another veil, another curtain inside the holy place that's separating the priest from what's called the most holy place. And the most holy place was where God's presence actually dwelt. Of course, God dwells in heaven, but he manifested his presence there in the most holy place above the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant there. And so the high priest was only allowed, well, the priests were only allowed to go into the holy place. But there was one day, um, a very special day, in which the high priest, okay, you have a bunch of priests and there's only one high priest, um, the high priest could enter the most holy place one day of year, of the year and enter the very presence of God. And this was to perform a sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the entire nation. And this was called the Day of Atonement. And this is important for our, our study tonight. Um, the Day of Atonement was necessary for a few reasons, but the main one you need to know is that no Israelite could ever bring enough sacrifices to cover all of his sins. I mean, think about it yourself today. Like, how many sins did you commit? And how many sins did you commit that you're probably not even aware of? Right? Like, just poor attitudes you had when your sibling was, was singing and you were just so annoyed by it. Right? Just things like that. Right? There's so many things, like, that just get us upset. The grumbling that we have just day in and day out oh, man, this class is so boring, or whatever it is, right? That's actually a sin. Like, grumbling is a sin. And so there's going to be things that you don't even realize, like, oh, man, I sinned today. And so there's, there's no Israelite that would actually be able to consciously know every sin and have a sacrifice for it. So the Day of Atonement covered all of those unintentional sins for the entire year for the whole nation, Okay. So they, Israel could be forgiven for that whole year of, of sins. And so this is why the Day of Atonement was necessary. And it was so gracious of God to give it. Um, so now, at this point, uh, I want... Let's see, do I have another slide? Okay, no. I'll go back to the roadmap for us. So at this point, I want to let the author of Hebrews... Tell us how this day, the Day of Atonement, pointed to a greater high priest who brings people into fellowship with God through a greater sacrifice. So, so look at Hebrews 9 with me. We're just going to do a brief overview of some of these verses in Hebrews 9. This is uh, verse 6. Hebrews 9, 6. Um, Speaking of the tabernacle, here I'll actually show the tabernacle slide. Um, These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, first section of the tabernacle, the holy place, performing their ritual duties. They go there regularly, day in, day out, 
But into the second, into the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. And then it says in verse 8, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So verse 8 is really essentially telling us that access to God's presence was not freely available. That's what the, this veil is telling us, this veil blocking people from entering the most holy place. And verse, let's look at verses 9 to 10. It says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed until the, the, day of, or the time of reformation. So verses 9 and 10, just a summary. Uh, this shows uh, the, need for the, day, oh, the need for the Day of Atonement to be formed every, performed every year shows that, number one, that those sacrifices could not make the worshipers perfect in the eyes of God. Like absolutely perfect. And number two, they could not purge the worshiper's conscience of his guilt. And the reason for that is because the Day of Atonement really could only offer you temporary relief in your conscience. See, because you had relief, like, oh, thank you, God, you've forgiven all my past sins. But after the Day of Atonement's over, the very next day, you're gonna be, you know you're going to be sinning again. And you know that you're going to need another Day of Atonement to cleanse you of all of those sins that you haven't sacrificed for. And so your conscience would condemn you. You would, you would know, like, man, I have guilt before God. See, a clean conscience can really only come through a full and complete pardon for sin. Your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. And the Day of Atonement did not provide this. And that's because the Day of Atonement was pointing to a greater high priest who gave a greater sacrifice. And we'll read about that in verse 11. Look, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. And stop right there just for a minute. Do you know what, what he's talking about right there? That this greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands? He's talking about heaven, the, the true dwelling place of God. He's saying Christ entered the true dwelling, dwelling place of God. Uh, Hebrews 9.5 tells us that the earthly tent was just a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. There's, there's a real throne room in heaven, a real dwelling place of God. And the tabernacle here, this tent, is just a copy and a shadow of that real throne room. And here it's saying that Jesus actually entered into the real throne room as a high priest. And so it says uh, in the next verse, we'll see that, that when Christ entered the most holy place, he did not take the same types of sacrifices that the earthly high priest brought. Look at verse 12. It says, He entered, Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. That's what the high priest would bring. But by means of his own blood, 
thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus took his own blood into the most holy place of heaven. The blood that he spilled for his people as he died on the cross. In their place and for their sins. And it says at the end of verse 12 that that blood secured an eternal redemption. An eternal forgiveness of sins. A forgiveness that lasts forever. No more sacrifices are needed. And the original audience of the book of Hebrews really needed to hear that. And I think we do as well. That Christ did what the Old Testament sacrifices could not. He completely paid for all the sins that you will ever commit. And by doing so, he brings you into the very presence of God. Into the most holy place in heaven. And if you skip down to verse 24, I think verse 24 to 26 summarizes it really well. Christ as high priest. Verse 24, it says, For Christ entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he, Christ, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once, one sacrifice, put away sin. That's a great high priest. And so now with, with that background, I think we're ready to look at our passage in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Hopefully now the verse that we've already read twice will start to come alive and you'll start to realize how significant this is. Let's look at verse 19, chapter 10. It says, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places. And just stop for a moment. It says we have confidence to enter the holy places. What holy places is he talking about? I mean, if it, if it were the earthly holy place, like that would be amazing enough, right? No normal person could just go into the, to the most holy place there. It was only the high priest. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the holy place, like the actual one, not the copy, but the real thing, like the throne room of God in heaven. It says we have confidence to enter that place. And this confidence that we have, it's not just some sort of like subjective confidence, like, oh, I'm confident I can go to the movies on Friday. I mean, I still have to check with my mom, but I'm pretty confident that she'll let me go. It's not that kind of confidence. This is like complete and full permission. This is like a, a certified, 
authorized access into God's presence. And I hope we're all wondering, like, wow, like, how how can this be? And look at the last part of, of verse 19. It says, by the blood of Jesus. The only way that anyone can have access to God is by the blood of Jesus. That is the only way. It's not by your good deeds. It's not by how well you're doing on your spiritual report card, like, I did my quiet time today. I I didn't yell at my brother today. I took out the trash before my mom asked me. Like, it's not like that. Like, the only way that you can get access to God is through the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing that's able to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness and bring you to God. Look at verse 20. It further describes how Jesus' blood allows us to enter the holy places. It says, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And I wonder if you guys remember, when Jesus died on the cross, do you remember what happened to the curtain in the temple, the veil? It tore Yes, Mark 15, we, we can read about it there. Mark 15, 37 to 38, I'll read it for you. It says, And Jesus, this is him on the cross, uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And really what that signified, that veil, you can imagine, right? Like the priest going into minister and the veil's just torn. What it signified is that there is no longer a barrier. There's no longer something preventing access to the most holy place where God dwells. Jesus' sacrifice on the, uh, on the cross opened the way to free and unhindered access to God. Like not once a, once a, a year, this is free, un, in, unhindered access to God. And that's through Christ flesh broken for us. In verse 21, it just keeps going. It says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, we have a great priest over the house of God. And you guys have already heard some of it with me, but like the the author of Hebrews has really labored to show that Jesus is the perfect high priest, like the greatest priest you could ever ask for. He's the very one that each of us need. It says in Hebrews 7, 23 to 28, it tells us about why Jesus is a better high priest than any earthly high priest that ever lived. It's because the resurrected Jesus, I'll just, I won't read it for you, but you can read it later, Hebrews 7, 23 to 28 basically says that the resurrected Jesus lives forever. So he doesn't die like all the other high priests. So he holds his priesthood permanently, forever. And that means for the rest of eternity, Jesus will be high priest. And number two, the reason he's better is because he's perfect. See, all the other priests were sinners, and they'd have to make offering sacrifices for their own sins. But Jesus was sinless. He 
made a sacrifice and he did it only on the behalf of us. We are com the complete beneficiaries of his sacrifice. So what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus being our great high priest is that basically like without fail, he can bring you into God's presence for all eternity. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. All the other mediators that ever lived, all the other priests who, who helped bring us close to God or bring the Israelites close to God, were pointing to him, our great priest over the house of God. And so, yeah, I hope we're, we're feeling like how significant this would have been to the original audience, the, the, the audience who was tempted to go back to these old ways of relating to God through, like, the sacrificial system. Like, wh why would you do that? And I hope that you're also feeling like, what amazing news this is for you, that you have just the high priest that you need, a priest who, who cleanses you of all guilt and gives you access to the very presence of God. And, and really, like, why would you approach God any other way? Like, why would you try to approach God based on your own merits? Only Jesus can bring you to God. And so now, because of these things in 19 to 21, because they're true, the author of Hebrews gives his audience three exhortations. So exhortation means like he urges them. He urges them to do three things. But we're just going to look at one. Um, and because it has to do with prayer. And that's in verse 22. But I'm going to start reading from 19. So we can really catch the full argument here. So read with me. Verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near. Like this is the logical thing that you ought to do is now is to draw near because those things are true. He urges, he urges his audience to take full advantage of the privileges that Jesus has granted them and to draw near to God. And this message is also for us today. Like this, this is not just for the original audience. God had this author record these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so God himself is preaching to you the very same thing today. If Christ is your high priest, then God urges you, draw near to me. Like God, the king of the universe is not just allowing you to come into his presence, but he's urging you, draw near Come into my presence. I, I was thinking about this um, earlier this week and just so encouraged by this, this passage. And it's like, it's like there's a giant banner hanging from the doorway to the throne room of heaven that says, welcome. Like, you can come before God's throne because Jesus has opened the way. It's like there's like a guest list with all the names of everyone whom God has invited to come and enjoy his presence. And if Christ is your high priest, then your name is on it. 
like you always have access to God's throne room to come and enjoy him. And it's astounding to think that like this came at the cost of his son. Like God gave his son so that you could come and be in his presence. Like that's how much God actually wants us into his presence. Now, I want to look at what he means by draw near. He says, let us draw near. This is the the main exhortation of this whole passage. And so, um, if you were to read all of Hebrews, you would see that that this portion here about Jesus as high priest is actually bookended by two exhortations about drawing near. The one that we have just read in in 1022, and then there's also one in chapter 4, verse 16. And chapter 4, verse 16 says this. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And already sounds very similar, right? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in this verse, in 4.16, we are urged to come before God's throne, which is the throne of grace, by the way, if you're in Christ. And in prayer, to receive help when we're needy. So really, this verse is about coming to God in prayer to ask, for, ask help from him. Um, it's a call for us to present our petitions to God. So in 1022, when here it says, draw near, it's, it's more general. It's like, come to God for any reason. But this obviously includes prayer, and this is our topic tonight, prayer. So God wants you to draw near to him, and one of the specific ways you can draw near to him is through prayer. So in prayer, you're actually coming to the throne of God and making your requests known. So I ask, like, do you pray? (laughs) Like, is Jesus your high priest? God stands ready to welcome you into his presence and, and hear your petitions. Now, verse 22, the the last portions of it, the author tells us in what manner we are to draw near to God. In what manner. And the first reason, or the first manner he gives is with a true heart. You'll see that. Let us draw near with a true heart. And essentially what that means is this is a, a sincere heart, a genuine heart, as opposed to an evil or unbelieving heart. This is a heart that takes God at his word, who believes, like, when he says, like, that you're accepted before him because of Jesus. And it says, to come with a true heart and in full assurance of faith. And full assurance really means complete confidence or certainty. That you come before the throne of God with complete confidence And this confidence, of course, is is not in yourself or in your own works. Um, This confidence is in Jesus Christ and his high priestly work on your behalf. So if Christ is your Savior, then don't let doubts keep you from drawing near to God. God has said that through Christ you have full access to come to him. And he urges you to come. 
don't let like, oh, I, but I just sinned. Like, no, like Christ paid for that sin. You're forgiven. God has cleansed you in Christ. You don't have to let your sins prevent you. God is still urging you this very same words, draw near to me. And verse 3 gives us kind of even more confidence. It just kind of adds to um, all these reasons to draw near to God. It says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And, And it says that this is something that's already been done to you. Your heart has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience if Christ is your high priest. It doesn't say that you need to sprinkle your heart clean before coming to God. It says, no, your, your heart's been sprinkled clean. And in the Old Covenant, uh, blood was used to purify. I know it sounds weird, but, but in, in, in the Old Covenant, and even with Christ, like Christ's blood cleanses, it purifies sinners. And so here it's saying that your heart has been sprinkled by the cleansing blood of Jesus. Um, And that has cleansed you from all sin. And so you're free from this condemning conscience. It says sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You're free from this condemning conscience knowing like, I am totally, all my guilt has been paid for. All my sins, the sins that I committed today, the sins that I'll commit tomorrow, all of them are paid for. So when I come before God, I have a clean conscience in the presence of God, which is just astounding to think. And then the last thing it says, and our bodies washed with pure water. And this is referring to to ritual cleansing, um, that you have been made clean. So there's no uncleanness on you. You you have no defilement if you're in Christ. You have been made completely clean and you will stay completely clean. So there's nothing that will keep you from coming into God's presence. So really what this is saying is that like all the barriers for you, Christian, to come into God's presence have been removed through Christ. And God is urging you now, draw near to me. Come to me in prayer. My throne is a throne of grace for you. So this brings us back to the question, does God hear my prayers? And I ask you, does God hear your prayers? And really your answer depends on your answer to this question. Is Jesus your high priest? Have you trusted in his work alone to save you from your sins? Have you turned from your sins to follow him? Do you trust that he, Jesus, is the only one who can bring you to God? And if your answer is yes, I do believe that Jesus is my high priest, then you can have great confidence that you have access to God in prayer, that he hears your prayers every time you come to him because Jesus is your high priest. And if your answer is is no, um, Jesus is not my high priest, or I, I, I don't know if Jesus is my high priest or not, 
And I urge you to cry out to Jesus. He delights to save sinners. Like This is why Jesus came and died on the cross, was to save sinners. And he promises this promise from John 6, 37. It's so precious. It says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So there's nobody that can say, oh, but I'm too sinful to come to Jesus. No, Jesus says, like, if you come to me, I won't cast you out. He will gladly receive you. He'll gladly be your high priest and bring you to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's draw near to the Father now through our great high priest. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us such a high priest. Lord, one who is eternal, one who is spotless, one who has paid the penalty for all of our sins, that has made the sacrifice of all sacrifices, that has put away sin by the death of himself. And thank you, Lord, that you have made a way that we can have access to you and that it'd be through the death of your son. Lord, what an amazing truth. God, I pray that those who know you in this room would come to you in prayer, in bold prayer, crying out to you, knowing that you hear them because of Jesus, not on their own merit. The sins that they have committed today or in that moment have been paid for, completely paid for, God. Grant them a clean conscience as they come to you. Lord, I pray that you would get much glory for your name by answering many of their prayers, Lord, that they would come to you and pray, knowing you hear, having faith, Lord, and that you would answer those prayers for the glory of your name, and that much thanksgiving would be given to you as we see those answers to prayer. And Father, I pray for those who do not know you in this room, the ones here who, who don't have Jesus as their high priest, Lord, I ask that you would open their eyes to see the glory, the beauty of this Jesus, this high priest, that he is greater than any other man. He is greater than anything else we could ever want in this earth, that to have access to you, what could be more precious than that, Lord? I pray that they would know that, that knowing you is worth giving up everything else for, Lord. I pray that you would you would give them conviction for their, from their sin, Lord, and that they would turn to you, turn from their sin, turning to Jesus, believing on him, that his sacrifice really has paid for their sins, and that his resurrection as, and being their high priest allows them to come into your presence, Lord, and be accepted. I pray, God, that you'd give people that knowledge, even tonight, um, that saving knowledge of Christ. Thank you, God, that you hear me. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And we pray that you would be honored. We ask this in the name of your son, our high priest. Amen. All right, thank you.